we see into a mirror dimly, squinting through tarnished glass. Our prevailing cultural and philosophical perspectives have an enormous impact on how we make sense of the Bible. When our understanding of Imago Dei is refracted through a warped philosophical glass and skewed biblical understanding, the result is that our image, and especially the images of women and minorities along the margins, is tarnished and distorted. This modern world is of particular interest to women. Betwixt, at the intersection of faith and culture. Check, check, check. Do you want me to read it with disdain? Uh, yeah, read with some sass. <laughs> For woman seems to be a creature somewhat different from man, in that she has dissimilar members, a varied form, and a mind weaker than man. I don't think Martin Luther was really this snobbish. He would not have read it like this. How would Martin Luther have read this? With a beer? With a beer, and he's genuine. He's not disdainful. I think the, he thinks this is how things were made to be. Okay. Let's try again in the way that you think Martin <laughs> Luther, with the full integrity of who he was and his culture and his theology. How would he have read it? Oh, boy. Get into the mind of Martin Luther. Okay, good luck with that. For woman seems to be a creature somewhat different from man, in that she has dissimilar members, a varied form, and a mind weaker than man. Although Eve was a most excellent and beautiful creature, like unto Adam in reference to the image of God, that is with respect to righteousness, wisdom, and salvation, yet she was a woman. For as the sun is more glorious than the moon, though the moon is a most glorious body, so woman, though she was a most beautiful work of God, yet she did not equal the glory of the male creature. Did you feel better about that? <laughs> Somewhat better. I mean, it's still not something we would say today, right? These aren't your words? No, <laughs> these are not my words. Hi, everybody. Deb Gregory here, curator of the Betwixt podcast. Thanks for joining me. That was my husband courageously reading from Martin Luther's commentary on Genesis. I've been wanting to share some thoughts about the feminine experience of the image of God for some time now. I've been sitting on some really juicy and thought-provoking material, but every time I sat down to write, I kept thinking, oh, there's got to be a better way to present this material. The thoughts were just jumping off the page for me, and so I had the idea to present them through sound. We'll see how this goes. If you enjoy this medium, please reach out and let me know. Even though my background is in filmmaking, podcast making I'm finding is a whole other beast. So I'd really love your feedback. Today, we'll explore how women think of themselves as image bearers of God. We'll also examine what the church has thought it means to image God. And finally, what the Bible specifically says about mankind and the image of God. And so let's jump into our mini-series on the image of God and the feminine experience. 
Do you believe you were made in the image of God? With all the attention and debates centered on women these days, I wanted to hear how Christian women responded to this question. The most common answer I hear is, yes. Yet when I follow up with, what does it mean to you to be made in the image of God? Crickets. Birds chirping. Tinnitus. This is what I usually hear. Often they frankly confess, I don't really know. Digging deeper, I found that some women consider the image of God to mean a spiritual reflection of God's good and just character. Others resonate with the the relational image of God as a nurturer. They cling to the biblical images of God as that, that brooding mother eagle or hen or the bear protecting her young. Or perhaps the metaphor of God as midwife or nursing mother. Yet others think of imaging God in functional terms, describing our duty to represent him as we exercise creativity and dominion in our everyday lives. Now, despite these positive responses in which women seem to resonate with bearing God's image, I also hear a lot of frustration from Christian women who struggle to make sense of it as they read scripture. Why does the Bible seem to endorse the subordination of women to men? Why are there so many taboos associated with the woman's body? Why is God most often presented in the Bible through male imagery and terminology? The Bible and church liturgy just seems so androcentric. Patriarchy has hurt me. I can't seem to get past it when I read scripture or go to church. Many women conceptually resonate with the idea of imaging God, but their personal experiences make them feel disconnected from it. They feel severed from God's image when their bodies are objectified through sexism and when their worth is diminished through misogyny. In the next few posts, I plan to take on an ambitious quest in which I will pose the questions What does it mean for humans to bear the image of God? And how have the various positions regarding the Imago Dei impacted women over the centuries? Before we begin, let's acknowledge that there is something here with us. Yes, there it is. The elephant in the podcast. The Imago Dei, that that fancy Latin theological term meaning the image of God is a gigantic topic with dangerous tusks. This podcast safari cannot address the full philosophical or theological weight of this elephant. My quest is not to argue one perspective over another. I'm not gunning to spar elephants here. The focus will be on the feminine experience of the Imago Dei, along with an invitation for women and men to more fully appreciate what it means and does not mean to image God. Now, to answer these questions, we're going to trace the evolution of the four primary views of the Imago Dei. These are the the major positions the church has embraced over the years. Now, the first position is often called the substantive view. Here, the image of God is thought to be possessed by humans in their distinctively human qualities. Or another way to say this is, 
the substance of who we are reflects something essential about who God is. Now, early Christianity adopted a a Hellenistic disdain for the physical body, and this resulted in an amplified value of the spiritual, moral, and rational substance of man. Because God is spirit and, and does not have a body, they reasoned, it must be the spirit of man that images God. Now, what about women, you ask? Well, hold on to your hats. We will get to that. Now, the second position is called the relational view. Emerging from and kind of in response to existential thought, modern Christianity recast the Imago Dei as primarily relational in nature. This view sees the image of God as manifested in both the the God-to-human and the human-to-human relationships. The body, particularly sexuality and gender, became deeply significant within this framework. So again, hold on to your hats and loincloths. Now the third position is called the functional view. While this was popular through centuries, it really kind of saw a resurgence in the early 20th century. As the relational view stole the front row of church pews, a different perspective sparked through academic lecture halls. It was largely due to an explosion of archaeological and theological research that rippled through academia at that time. Scholars redefined the Imago Dei in terms of how humans were to function as God's royal representatives on earth by exercising stewardship and and dominion over the earth. And now within the last few decades, Old Testament scholars and theologians have begun to rethink the Imago Dei in light of new insights emerging from the ancient world. They examine how scripture likens and contrasts man as the image of God with man-made images of gods. This is within the historical and cultural context of the ancient Near East. They argue that while the substantive, relational, and functional views may reveal the results of imaging God, they do not define the essence of the Imago Dei. This essence is best distilled as our identity. This is who we are, who God made us to be as kin, royal servants, and worshipers of God Almighty, King of the Universe. Now that we've looked at a few philosophical frameworks the church has used to understand the Imago Dei, let's look specifically at the biblical text. Scholar John Kutzko once said, There has never been so much made with so little by so many. That humans are the Imago Dei is one of those foundational Christian beliefs upon which very little explicit biblical text rests. The little we do know seems vague at first glance, yet the idea of imaging God permeates scripture. So what do we know? Well, there are only three explicit references to God creating mankind in his image. All three are found within the first nine chapters of Genesis. So let's let's look at those verses. The foundational text is Genesis 1, 26 and 27, which says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. 
Now, the second text is Genesis 5. This, this is what begins the Toledoth, or the genealogy from Adam to Noah. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. The third and final text is Genesis 9-6. This verse describes the blessing God gave Noah and his sons after the flood and the recreation of the earth. This blessing mirrors the blessing of the original creation, but it adds an important warning. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And there you have it. The complete anthology of primary Old Testament text detailing the Imago Dei. While these are the only explicit texts until we get to the New Testament, a careful reading of Scripture provides more light. For instance, after Genesis 9, the Hebrew word for image, Salem, it ceases to be used again for mankind. Instead, Salem is used numerous times to describe man-made carved images or idols. We will further explore this connection between man as image and man-made images and the implications when we study the identity view of the Imago Dei. With such limited biblical information and vast historical baggage, one can only begin with the uneasy reality that we see into a mirror dimly, squinting through tarnished glass this is my biggest takeaway from this study. Our prevailing cultural and philosophical perspectives have an enormous impact on how we make sense of the Bible. When our understanding of the Imago Dei is refracted through a warped philosophical glass and skewed biblical understanding, the result is that our image, and especially the images of women and minorities along the margins, is tarnished and distorted. In the weeks ahead, we'll talk with church historians, philosophers, and theologians. They'll join me in this discussion of the experiences of women betwixt and between male-dominated philosophical and theological traditions. My hope is that we will not only gain a clearer understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God, but that this study will provide a more beautiful glimpse of who God is and a deeper appreciation for the privilege we have in bearing His image. So grab your safari hats and join me in this exploration. In order to produce these episodes and, and many more like them, I need your help to launch this podcast. While this mini-series focuses on women at the intersection of faith and culture, my goal is to tell much broader stories from this middle space. These are stories of liminal people, places, and practices, and each story holds the seed of life, growth, and transformation. For more information, please visit the Betwixt website at www.betwixtpodcast.com. On our homepage, you'll find a link to Patreon where you can contribute to my launch fund. It takes a village to raise a podcast, and I cannot do it without your help. And every bit really does help. So thanks, 
so much for joining me along this journey and for holding space for these important conversations. See you next time.